0: Section fourteen of three science fiction novellas by Lee Brackett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part two of Shadrach the Last. For some reason, the assault steadied Trevor. He got to his feet and took the club out of the girl's hands, regretting the gun that was buried under a ton of rock on the other side of the mountains. Stay behind me, he said. Watch my back. She stared at him strangely, but there was no time for questions. They began to run together toward the Badland. It seemed a long way off. The lizards screamed and hissed above them. Trevor hefted the club. It was about the size and weight of a baseball bat. He had once been very good at baseball. "'They are coming,' said the girl. "'Lie down flat,' he told her, and went on, more slowly. She dropped behind him in the grass, her fingers closing over a fragment of stone. The wide wings whistled down. Trevor braced himself. He could see the evil eyes, yellow and bright as the golden collars, and the brilliant flash of the sunstones against the jetty scales of the head. They were attacking together, but at different angles, so that he could not face them both he chose the one that was going to reach him first and waited he let it get close very close diving swiftly with its scarlet tongue forking out of its hissing mouth and its sharp claws spread then he swung the club with all his might it connected he felt something break the creature screamed and then the force of its dive carried it on into him and he lost his footing in a welter of thrashing wings and foundering body he fell and the second lizard was on him the girl rose in three long strides she reached him and flung herself upon the back of the scaly thing that ravaged him he saw her trying to pin it to the ground hammering methodically at its head with the stone he kicked off the wounded one he had broken its neck but it was in no hurry to die he caught up the club and presently the second brute was dead trevor found it quite easy to pick up the sunstone he held it in his hand a strange tawny jewel-like thing with a scrap of bone still clinging to it it glinted with inner fires deep and subtle and an answering spark of wild excitement was kindled in trevor from the very touch and feel of it so that he forgot where he was or what he was doing forgot everything but the eerie crystal that gleamed against his palm. It was more than a jewel, more even than wealth, that he held there. There was hope and success and a new life. He had thrown years away prospecting the bitter Mercurian wastes. This trip had been his last gamble, and it had ended with his ship gone, his quest finished, and nothing to look forward to even if he did get back safely but to become one of the penniless, aging, planet-drifters he'd always pitied. Now all that was changed. This single stone would let him go back to Earth a winner and not a failure. It would pay off all the dreary, lonesome, hazardous years. It would. It would do so many things if he could get out of this godforsaken valley with it. If. The girl had got her breath again now she said urgently come they're getting near trevor's senses bemused by the sunstone registered only vaguely the external stimuli of sight and sound the riders had come closer the beasts they rode were taller and slighter than horses they were not hoofed but clawed they had narrow vicious-looking heads with spiny crests that stood up erect and arrogant they came fast carrying their riders lightly. The men were still too far away to distinguish features, but even at that distance Trevor sensed something peculiar about their faces, something unnatural. They wore splendid harness, and their half-clad bodies were bronzed, but not nearly so deeply as the girls. The girls shook him furiously, stirring him out of his dream. "'Do you want to be taken alive?' Before, the beasts would have torn us apart, and that is quickly over. But we killed the hawks. Don't you understand? Now they will take us alive. He did not understand in the least, but her obvious preference for a very nasty death instead of capture made him find reserves of strength he thought he had lost in the underground river. There was also the matter of the sunstone. If they caught him with it, they would want it back. Clutching the precious thing, he turned with the girl and ran. The lava bed was beginning to catch the sun now. The splintered rock showed through, bleak and ugly. The bad land and the defile beyond seemed like an entrance into hell, but it did offer shelter of a sort if they could make it. The drumming of padded feet behind was loud in his ears. He glanced over his shoulder once. He could see the faces of the huntsmen now. They were not good faces, in either feature or expression. And he saw the thing about them that he had noticed before the unnatural thing. In the center of each forehead, above the eyes, a sunstone was set into flesh and bone. First the hawk lizards, and now these. Trevor's heart contracted with an icy pang these men were human as human as himself and yet they were not they were alien and wicked and altogether terrifying and he began to understand why the girl did not wish to come alive into their hands fleet implacable the crested mounts with their strange riders were sweeping in upon the two who fled the leader took from about his saddle a curved throwing-stick and held it poised the sunstone set in his brow flashed like a third and evil eye the lava and the fangs of rock shimmered in the light trevor yearned toward them the brown girl running before him seemed to shimmer also it hurt very much to breathe he thought he could not go any farther but he did and when the girl faltered he put his arm around her and steadied her on he continued to keep an eye out behind him. He saw the curved black stick come hurtling toward him, and he managed to let it go by. The others were ready now as they came within range. It seemed to Trevor that they were watching him with a peculiar intensity, as though they had recognized him as a stranger and had almost forgotten a girl in their desire to take him. His bare feet trod on lava, already growing hot under the sun a spur of basalt reared up and made a shield against the throwing-sticks in a minute or two trevor and the girl were hidden in a terrain of such broken roughness as the man had seldom seen it was as though some demonic giant had whipped the molten lava with the pudding-spoon cracking mountains with his free hand and tossing in the pieces he understood now why the girl had waited for daylight to make her break to attempt this passage in the dark would have been suicidal. He listened nervously for sounds of pursuit. He could not hear any, but he remained uneasy, and when the girl flung herself down to rest he asked, "'Shouldn't we go farther? They might still come.' She did not answer him at once, beyond a shake of the head. He realized that she was looking at him almost as intently as the riders had it was the first chance she had had to examine him and she was making the most of it she noted the cut of his hair the stubble of beard the color and texture of his skin the rags of his shorts that were all he had to cover him very carefully she noted them and then she said in an odd slow voice as though she were thinking of something else mounted the corings are afraid of nothing but afoot, and in here, they are afraid of ambush. It has happened before. They can die, you know, just the same as we do. Her face, for all its youth, was not the face of a girl. It was a woman who looked at Trevor, a woman who had already learned the happy, the passionate, and the bitter things, who had lived with pain and fear and knew better than to trust anyone but herself. YOU AREN'T ONE OF US, SHE SAID. NO, I CAME FROM BEYOND THE MOUNTAINS. HE COULD NOT TELL WHETHER SHE BELIEVED HIM OR NOT. WHO OR WHAT ARE THE Korins? THE LORDS OF Corinth?" SHE ANSWERED, AND BEGAN TO TEAR STRIPS FROM THE LENGTH OF WHITE LINEN CLOTH SHE WORE TWISTED ABOUT HER WAIST. THERE WILL BE TIME TO TALK LATER. WE STILL HAVE FAR TO GO. HERE, THIS WILL STOP THE BLEEDING. In silence they bound each other's wounds and started off again. If Trevor had not been so unutterably weary, and the way so hard, he would have been angry with the girl. And yet there was nothing really to be angry about, except that he sensed she was somehow suspicious of him. Many times they had to stop and rest. Once he asked her, "'Why were they, the Karens, hunting you?' "'I was running away,' Why were they hunting you? Damned if I know. Accident, perhaps. I happened to be where their hawks were flying. The girl wore a chain of iron links around her neck, a solid chain with no clasp, too small to be pulled over the head. From it hung a round tag with a word stamped on it. Trevor took the tag in his hand. Galt, he read, is that your name? My name is Jen. Galt is the Corinne I belong to. He led the hunt. She gave Trevor a look of fierce and challenging pride and said, as though she were revealing some secret earldom. I am a slave. How long have you been in the valley, Jen? You and I are the same stock, speaking the same language. Earth stock. How does it happen? A colony of this size that no one ever heard of? "'It's been nearly three hundred years since the landing,' she answered. "'I've been told that for generations my people kept alive the hope "'that a ship would come from Earth and release them from the Karens. "'It never came. "'And, except by ship, there is no way in or out of the valley.' "'Trevor glanced at her sharply. "'I found a way in, all right, and I'm beginning to wish I hadn't. "'And if there's no way out, where are we going?' I don't know myself, said Jen and Rose, but my man came this way, and others before him. She went on, and Trevor went with her. There was no place else to go. The heat was unbearable, and they crept in the shadows of the rocks whenever they could. They suffered from thirst, but there was no water. The shoulder of the purple basalt loomed impossibly tall before them, and seemed never to grow nearer. For most of the day they toiled across the lava bed, and at last, when they had almost forgotten that they had ever dreamed of doing it, they rounded the shoulder and came staggering out of the bad land into a narrow canyon that seemed like the scar of some cataclysmic wound in the mountain. Rock walls, raw and riven, rose out of sight on either side, the twisted strata showing streaks of crimson and white and sullen okra. A little stream crawled in a stony bed, and not much grew beside it. Jen and Trevor fell by the stream, and while they were still sprawled on the moist gravel, lapping like dogs at the bitter water, men came quietly from among the rocks and stood above them, holding weapons made of stone. Trevor got slowly to his feet. There were six of these armed men. Like the girl, they wore loincloths of white cotton much frayed, and like her they were burned almost black by a lifetime of exposure to a brutal sun. They were all young, knotted and sinewy from hard labor, their faces grim beyond their years. All bore upon their bodies the scars of talons, and they looked at Trevor with a cold, strange look. They knew Jen, or most of them did. She called them gladly by name, and demanded, "'Hugh!' Where's Hugh?" One of them nodded toward the farther wall. "'Up there in the caves. He's all right. Who is this man, Jen? She turned to study Trevor. "'I don't know. They were hunting him, too. He came to help me. I couldn't have escaped without him. He killed the hawks. But—' she hesitated, choosing her words carefully. "'He says he came from beyond the mountains. He knows of earth and speaks our tongue. And when he killed the hawks, he smashed the skull of one and took the sunstone. All six stared at that. And the tallest of them, a young man with a face as bleak and craggy as the rocks around them, came toward Trevor. "'Why did you take the sunstone?' he asked. His voice held an ugly edge. Trevor stared at him. "'Why the devil do you suppose?' "'Because it's valuable.' The man held out his hand. "'Give it to me.' "'The hell I will!' cried Trevor furiously. He backed away, just a little, getting set. The young man came on, and his face was dark and dangerous. "'Sol, wait!' cried Jen. "'Sol didn't wait. He kept right on coming.' Trevor let him get close before he swung and put every ounce of his strength behind the blow. The smashing fist took Saul squarely in the belly and sent him backward, doubled up. Trevor stood with hunched shoulders, breathing hard, watching the others with feral eyes. What are you? he snarled. A bunch of thieves? All right, come on. I've got the stone the hard way, and I'm going to keep it. Big words, a big anger, and a big fear behind them. The men were around him in a ring. Now, there was no chance of breaking away. Even if he did, he was so winded they could pull him down in minutes. The stone weighed heavy in his pocket, heavy as a half a lifetime of sweat and hunger and hard work on the rock piles of Mercury. Saul straightened up. His face was still gray but he bent again and picked up a sharp-pointed implement of rock that he had dropped. Then he moved forward, and the others closed in, at the same time, quite silently. There was a bitter taste in Trevor's mouth as he waited for them. To get his hands on a sunstone at last, and then to lose it, and probably his life, too, to this crowd of savages. It was more than anybody ought to be asked to bear. "'Sol, wait!' cried Jen again, pushing in front of him. He saved my life. You can't just—' "'He's a Corin. A spy. "'He can't be. There's no stone in his forehead. Not even a scar.' Saul's voice was flat and relentless. He took a sunstone. Only Corin would touch one of the cursed things. But he says he's from outside the valley. From Earth, Saul, From Earth!' Things would be different there. Jen's insistence on that point had at least halted the men temporarily. And Trevor, looking at Saul's face, had suddenly begun to understand something. You think the sunstones are evil, he said. Saul gave him a somber glance. They are, and the one you have is going to be destroyed, now. Trevor swallowed the bitter anguish that choked him, and did some fast thinking if the sunstones had a superstitious significance in this benighted pocket of mercury and he could imagine why they might with those damned unnatural hawks flying around with the equally unnatural corins that put a different light on their attitude he knew just by looking at their faces that it was give him the sunstone or die dying at the hands of a bunch of wild fanatics didn't make sense better let them have the stone and gamble on getting it back again later. Or on getting another one. They seemed plentiful enough in the valley. Sure, let's be sensible about it. Let's hand over a lifetime of hoping to a savage with horny palms, and not to worry about it. Let's—oh, hell. Here, he said. All right, take it. It hurt. It hurt like giving up his own heart sol took it without thanks he turned and laid it on a flat surface of rock and began to pound the glinting crystal with the heavy stone he had meant to use on trevor's head there was a look on his lined young craggy face as though he was killing a living thing a thing that he feared and hated trevor shivered he knew that sunstones were impervious to anything but atomic bombardment BUT IT MADE HIM A LITTLE SICK, NONETHELESS, TO SEE THAT PRICELESS OBJECT BEING BATTERED BY SOME CRUDE STONE CLUB. IT WON'T BREAK, HE SAID. YOU MIGHT AS WELL STOP. SOL FLUNG DOWN HIS WEAPON SO CLOSE TO TREVOR'S BARE FEET THAT HE LEAPED BACK. THEN HE PICKED UP THE SUNSTONE AND HURLED IT AS FAR AS HE COULD ACROSS THE RAVINE. TREVOR HEARD IT CLINKING FAINTLY AS IT FELL. IN AMONG THE ROCKS AND RUBBLE AT THE FOOT OF THE OPPOSITE CLIFF. HE STRAINED TO MARK THE SPOT. YOU IDIOT, HE SAID TO SOL, YOU'VE THROWN AWAY A FORTUNE, THE FORTUNE I'VE SPENT MY LIFE TRYING TO FIND. WHAT'S THE MATTER WITH YOU? DON'T YOU HAVE ANY IDEA AT ALL WHAT THOSE THINGS ARE WORTH? SOL IGNORED HIM, SPEAKING BLEAKLY TO THE OTHERS. NO MAN WITH A SUNSTONE IS TO BE TRUSTED. I SAY KILL HIM. Jen SAID STUBBORNLY, NO, SAUL, I OWE HIM MY LIFE. BUT HE COULD BE A SLAVE, A TRADER, WORKING FOR THE CORINS. LOOK AT HIS CLOTHES, SAID Jen. LOOK AT HIS SKIN. THIS MORNING IT WAS WHITE, NOW IT'S RED. DID YOU EVER SEE A SLAVE THAT COLOR? OR A CORIN, EITHER? BESIDES, DID YOU EVER SEE HIM IN THE VALLEY BEFORE? THERE AREN'T AS MANY OF US AS THAT. WE CAN'T TAKE ANY CHANCES, Saul SAID. NOT US. YOU CAN ALWAYS KILL HIM LATER. BUT IF HE IS FROM BEYOND THE MOUNTAINS, PERHAPS EVEN FROM EARTH. SHE SAID THE WORD HESITANTLY, AS THOUGH SHE DID NOT QUITE BELIEVE THERE WAS SUCH A PLACE. HE MIGHT KNOW SOME OF THE THINGS WE'VE BEEN MADE TO FORGET. HE MIGHT HELP US. ANYWAY, THE OTHERS HAVE A RIGHT TO THEIR SAY BEFORE YOU KILL HIM. Saul SHOOK HIS HEAD. "'I don't like it, but—' he hesitated, scowling thoughtfully. "'All right. We'll settle it up in the cave. Let's move.' He said to Trevor, "'You go in the middle of us, and if you try to signal anyone—' "'Who the devil would I signal to?' retorted Trevor angrily. "'Listen, I'm sorry I ever got into your bloody valley.' But he was not sorry. Not quite." His senses were on the alert to mark every twist and turn of the way they went, the way that would bring him back to the sunstone. The ravine narrowed and widened and twisted, but there was only one negotiable path, and that was beside the stream bed. This went on for some distance, and then the ravine split on a tremendous cliff of bare rock that tilted up and back as though arrested in the act of falling over. The stream flowed from the left-hand fork. Saul took the other one. They kept close watch on Trevor as he slipped and clambered and sprawled among them. The detritus of the primeval cataclysm that had shaped this crack in the mountains lay where it had fallen, growing rougher and more dangerous with every eroding storm and cracking frost above him on both sides. The mountain tops went up and still up. Beyond the shallow atmosphere, their half-seen summits leaned and quivered like things glimpsed from under water, lit like torches by the naked blaze of the sun. There were ledges lower down. Trevor saw men crouched upon them among heaps of piled stones. They shouted, and Saul answered them. In this narrow throat, no man could get through alive if they chose to stop him after a while they left the floor of the ravine and climbed a path partly natural and partly so roughly hewn that it seemed natural it angled steeply up the cliff face and at its end was a narrow hole sol led the way through it in single file the others followed and trevor heard jen's voice echoing in some great hollow space beyond calling hugh there was a cave inside a very large cave with dim nooks and crannies around its edges shafts of sunlight pierced it here and there from cracks in the cliff face high above and far at the back of it where the floor tipped sharply down a flame burned trevor had seen flames like that before on mercury where volcanic gases blowing up through a fissure had ignited from some chance spark it was impressive a small bluish column, twisting upward into rock-curtained distance and roaring evilly. He could feel the air rush past him as the burning pillar sucked it in. There were people in the cave. Less than a hundred, Trevor thought, not counting a handful of children and striplings. Less than a third of those were women. They all bore the same unmistakable stamp. Hard as life must be for them in the cave— It had been harder before. He felt his legs buckling under him with sheer weariness. He stood groggily with his back against the rough cave wall. A stocky young man with knotted shoulder muscles and sun-bleached hair was holding Jen in his arms. That would be Hugh. He and the others were shouting excitedly, asking and answering questions. Then, one by one, they caught sight of Trevor— and gradually the silence grew and spread. "'All right,' said Saul harshly, looking at Trevor. "'Let's get this settled.' "'You settle it,' said Trevor. "'I'm tired.' He glared at Saul and the unfriendly, staring crowd, and they seemed to rock in his vision. "'I'm an earthman. I didn't want to come into your damn valley. And I've been here a night and a day and haven't slept. I'm going to sleep.' Sal started to speak again, but Jen's man, Hugh, came up and stood in front of him. He saved Jen's life, Hugh said. Let him sleep. He led Trevor away to a place at the side where there were heaps of dried vines and mountain creepers, prickly and full of dust but softer than the cave floor. Trevor managed a few vague words of thanks and was asleep before they were out of his mouth. Hours, weeks or perhaps it was only minutes later. A rough, persistent shaking brought him to again. Faces bent over him. He saw them through a haze, and the questions they asked penetrated to him slowly and without much meaning. "'Why did you want the sunstone?' "'Why wouldn't I want it? I could take it back to Earth and sell it for a fortune.' "'What did they do with the sunstones on Earth?' build gadgets, super-electronic, to study things. Wavelengths too short for anything else to pick up. Thought-waves, even. What do you care? Do they wear sunstones in their foreheads on Earth? No? His voice trailed off, and the voices, or the dream of voices, left him. It was still daylight when he woke, this time normally. He sat up, feeling stiff and sore, But otherwise, rested. Jan came to him, smiling, and thrust a chunk of what he recognized as some species of rock lizard into his hands. He gnawed at it wolfishly while she talked, having discovered that this was not the same day, but the next one, and quite late. They have decided, she said, to let you live. I imagine you had a lot to do with that. Thanks. She shrugged her bare shoulders with the raw wounds on them where the hawk-lizards had clawed her. She had that exhausted, let-down look that comes after tremendous stress. And her eyes, even while she spoke to Trevor, followed Hugh as he worked at some task around the cave. "'I couldn't have done anything if they hadn't believed your story,' she told him. "'They questioned you when you were too far gone to lie.' He had a very dim memory of that." THEY DIDN'T UNDERSTAND YOUR ANSWERS, BUT THEY KNEW THEY WERE TRUE ONES. ALSO THEY EXAMINED YOUR CLOTHES. NO CLOTH LIKE THAT IS WOVEN IN THE VALLEY, AND THE THINGS THAT HOLD THEM TOGETHER. HE KNEW SHE MEANT THE ZIPPERS, ARE UNKNOWN TO US. SO YOU MUST HAVE COME FROM BEYOND THE MOUNTAINS. THEY WANT TO KNOW EXACTLY HOW, AND IF YOU COULD GET BACK THE SAME WAY. NO, SAID TREVOR, AND EXPLAINED. AM I FREE TO MOVE AROUND, THEN, GO WHERE I WANT TO?" SHE STUDIED HIM A MOMENT BEFORE SHE SPOKE. YOU'RE A STRANGER. YOU DON'T BELONG WITH US. YOU COULD BETRAY US TO THE CORINS JUST AS EASILY AS NOT. WHY WOULD I DO THAT? THEY HUNTED ME, TOO. FOR SUNSTONES, PERHAPS. YOU'RE A STRANGER. THEY WOULD TAKE YOU ALIVE. ANYWAY, BE CAREFUL. BE VERY CAREFUL WHAT YOU DO. From outside came a cry, Hawks! Take cover! Hawks! End of section fourteen.